0: Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Karmateksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, Secrets of Mind Training, 37 Ways to Develop Your Heart, by Lama Kathy Wesley. In 12th century Tibet, a young shepherd boy came upon an anthill in the early days of winter. He saw the ants moving slowly and thought they might die of cold. He took off his heavy chuba coat and left it on the anthill. So begins the story of one of the most famous compassionate beings in Tibetan history. Golchu Togme. is famous for his classic book of advice, The 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva. Lama Karma Drodal will be teaching on this book for KTC on Zoom on Saturday, July 22nd. In this talk, Lama Kathy will give a short introduction to the man and his book. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, I always enjoy coming into this room because it has a good feeling. And it's really, uh, it's got a good feeling, I think, because of the energy and of goodness that everybody brings here. And so I appreciate you coming and bringing your good energy to this space today. So thank you. So uh, I I like it. Yes, Winnie is reminding me. You know, I'll tell you what, it takes a village to raise a llama. It takes a village to raise a llama. And many times I begin my talk without doing the opening. I just forget. I get excited and you know, I'm like a two year old sometimes. So what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna begin with a good intention. And um, there's a saying in Tibetan Buddhism, good in the beginning, good in the middle and good in the end. Sometimes they say excellent at the beginning, excellent in the middle and excellent at the end. And what it refers to is our motivation and our application of our practice. So the motivation for practice is to benefit others. That's excellent at the beginning. Excellent in the middle is to be attentive to the the teaching or the practice or whatever it is we're putting our mind to. And excellent at the end means we dedicate and share the goodness with everybody. So so this would be excellent at the beginning. What we'll do is, uh, this is a prayer asking for the presence of the Buddha, his teaching, and all the bodhisattvas uh, to be present here with us during our get-together. And we'll recite it two times in English, and then I'll chant it one time in Tibetan, and you can join in if you'd like to. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly, most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly, most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment uh, by the merit of generosity and other good deeds, May I achieve enlightenment
2: for the sake of all beings. O Sanje Chidon Sochi Chodahamla Changchu Pardu Tani Kyabsu Chi Daji Beis Nahamki shro pen shir san je dru
1: Okay, thanks very much. And um, I'll begin uh, by reciting a short prayer yeah, to the gurus of the lineage.
2: Oh paldin savai lama rimbo che thag chi vor pe de Okay. Thanks very much.
1: Um, so um, I had a I had a fun experience this morning when um, I got ready to leave to for today and and was grabbing the books and so forth that I would need to be here. And I realized that I had prepared the wrong talk for today. I had advertised a talk on the 37 practices of a bodhisattva, but I was preparing the talk for the 30th on lamas and empowerments. It happens. So um, I was hoping to have small copies of the 37 practices to give you today so that we could all recite them together. But it didn't work out. Instead, we'll um, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the topic. In fact, I will be able I will be able to give the talk, so that part's okay. I'm prepared. I actually have that talk ready. It's just that I didn't have the handouts ready. I don't like being unprepared, but it happens from time to time. So the reason I wanted to talk about this particular subject is because the last few talks I've been talking about what is beyond mindfulness. Mindfulness is great, but what, what do we do to go beyond mindfulness? What's beyond that? And if you remember from some of the talks, what, what is beyond mindfulness is the development of love and compassion. Love and compassion for ourselves because we frequently leave ourselves out of our love and compassion developing love and compassion for ourselves, developing love and compassion for others. And by so doing, we create an environment around ourselves uh, that is more mindful, more kind, and more loving. And that this actually takes training. And that was what we talked about last week, was why does it take effort to train in something that's supposed to come naturally, which is love. Why does it take training? And the answer to this, of course, is because we love some people, but there are many other people we don't love. There are some people who are outside the fence of our love and compassion. We place them out there. We judge them. We say they're not good people, and they're not deserving of our love and not deserving of our compassion. Now, This may make us feel a little distress because we like to think of ourselves as good people. We like to think of ourselves as being kind and loving. But if we look at our mind from day to day, we may find ourselves not being so kind to ourselves sometimes. Sometimes people tell me they have uh, self-talk things they say to themselves over and over again that are not healthy. It's almost like some people take on the negative voices of others from their past who judge them harshly to their face, you know, and they take on those voices and then they start to use those voices against themselves. And so part of the reason we need to train in love is to retrain our thinking so that that negative judgmental voice we hear in our own heads sometimes can be changed and this is not something that's going to happen overnight because we do judge ourselves a lot and i understand it's important to it's important to do our best in every way we can with ourselves with our families with our work with the world. But we can be too harsh in our judgment. And by being too harsh in our judgment, we don't give ourselves a chance to change. We don't give ourselves a chance to improve. And so when you see Buddhist literature about the training in love and compassion, frequently it will be written in verse so that it's easy to memorize. And part of the reason for this is because in old Tibet, books were not that common. Every family had a few, but not that many. And they were often in bad shape and could barely be read. So memorization was very important for training in these ideas of love and training in the ideas of compassion. A few minutes ago, I did a reading transmission uh, for someone on the 59 mind training slogans of um, Chikawa Yeshe Dorje as a prelude to studying them deeply. Um, uh, I will not be able to give you the reading transmission for the 37 practices today, uh, but uh, Lama Karma Drodul, who is going to be teaching in uh, two weeks uh, on Zoom for us, He's going to give the reading transmission on Zoom because apparently technology is a friend of Dharma. (laughs) And uh, our teachers, who usually insist on person-to-person transmission, presence and transmission for important teachings and and words and so on, have said that uh, Zoom works just fine. Because there is a sense of presence, isn't there? How did we do that? By the way, this is off topic, but during the pandemic, we had to use Zoom a lot. And after a while, it got to feel like you actually were. Was this weird, or was this just me? That you, know, you actually like, felt like you were in the room with somebody? It's very weird, but anyhow. So this must be the human capacity for presence because humans do have a capacity to be present with each other, with their children, with their parents, with their pets. People have a capacity to be present. And so I found that very interesting. So Lama Karma on Saturday, the 22nd of this month, two weeks from yesterday, we'll be giving uh, four hours of teaching on the 37 practices and um, And I'd like to encourage everyone to sign up and register for this class because it's going to be quite good. And I decided uh, probably two days ago that it would be fun if we had a watch party here. So we're going to do a watch party here and you can bring your sack lunch. And uh, we'll hang out in the shrine room with a big TV. Uh, and if and if we can't get the big TV to work in the shrine room, we'll be down in the community room closer to the coffee and having our watch party there. As part of the watch party, I will be giving those small copies of the 37 practices. I'll give them away to anybody who comes to the watch party. and uh, And then we'll just kind of hang out and talk about the 37 actions of a bodhisattva. The, the first talk starts at 10 and the last talk ends at 4. So it, it's a day and if you can't be here for the whole day, just come for the morning or just come for the afternoon or just come for lunch in the free booklet. Hey, you know, but you have to bring your own lunch. Anyway, going back to the, um, to the 37 practices and why it's so special, uh, in the and the description for this class, I, I mentioned the story about a, 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 in 12th century Tibet, there was a little shepherd boy who was worried about the ants in an anthill freezing to death. And so he took off his outer chuba, which basically was his clothing, and put it on the anthill to keep it warm. And his mother saw him running around with hardly anything on, if anything, and said, what happened? He said, well, I didn't want them to die. The ants in the anthill. I didn't want them to die, and I mean, isn't that like kids speak? I mean, that's that's the compassion of children, isn't it? Right? They just they worry about these critters. You know, critters are important in the in a kid's world. And in case, um, so uh, this was the beginning of life of the great Tibetan saint Mchul Togme. Now you don't have to remember his name because it'll be on the booklets. But uh, Togme Rinpoche, as we would call him, Rinpoche means precious teacher. Togme Rinpoche became really an incredibly powerful practitioner of love and compassion. And he's one of these beings who, m- my own teacher, Kempo Karthur Rinpoche, said, if you practice love and compassion, you can become a Buddha without doing anything else except love and compassion. He said, tell everybody that they can become a Buddha just by practicing love and compassion. And I used to scratch my head about that and say, well, wait a minute, how's that possible? How can a person become a Buddha through love? And then I thought back to the teaching on the Four Noble Truths, you know, suffering's part of life, the Buddha said. Suffering has a cause, suffering has a solution, and there's a path that leads to the end of suffering the part where he talks about the causes of suffering, that suffering's part of life, we kind of get that. We feel it, we got physical suffering, we got emotional suffering, we got spiritual suffering, we got all kinds, so we're familiar with that. But what we're not as familiar with is the cause. Sometimes we think the cause of suffering is external. It's the system, it's other people, it's the boss, it's whoever. But really the Buddha said the cause of suffering is our fixation and clinging and our insistence on things being the way we want them to be. And it's almost like we do a violence to ourself and a violence to our world by insisting that everything be our way. (laughs) My way or the highway. But so it's that grasping that causes our suffering, and you can feel it. The, the um, Buddhist teacher, uh, the nun, Pema Chodron, she said, if something hurts so much, it's because I'm holding on so tight. And, and so if you think about that, that makes sense. And what's the thing we grab onto more tightly than anything? Our sense of me or I. I had a friend, um, I had a a Dharma friend, who went to prison. Yeah, it happens. And she wrote to me from prison. It happens. Um, I've got, I've anyway. So, and she wrote to me from prison, and she said, uh, ever since I've been in in prison, she said I've learned a lot about myself, and she said, and I've gone into twelve step recovery because. I I forged those prescriptions because I was addicted to drugs. And because I was addicted to drugs, I acted stupid and I broke the law and now I'm in prison. She said, but going through 12-step recovery has helped me understand my part in it. And she said, and you know what I found out? I found out that deep inside me, I am harboring a secret a secret inside me, and that is that secretly I feel superior to everyone. I feel that I am superior to everyone. I have a secret sense of self-superiority. And she said, and that's what led me into addiction because I couldn't get everything my way and and so forth and so on. And it led me into hurting myself and hurting my family. It led me into a lot of really bad stuff and now I'm in prison. And so I wrote back to her and I said, uh, I said, this secret that you have discovered is incredibly valuable, but you are not alone. You are not alone. Many of us harbor a secret sense of self superiority. It's what makes us grab the largest piece of fruit on a pile it's what makes us cut in front of somebody in traffic. <laughs> it's, it's right, it's what makes us trash talk people in our heads because we put ourselves in that position, being the judge. So this is painful to come to a realization that we're all like this, but But the truth is that knowing that we are like this is actually a good thing. Because once we realize this is what we've got, then we can begin to work with it and notice it and begin to change it just a little bit each time. And that's what we've been talking about in the previous classes on extending mindfulness into everyday situations. Watch what's in your mind and act accordingly and use antidotes to negative mental afflictions while they are happening. And so, uh, people go to prison, yes they do. And, um, and so, this woman really helped me a lot. This person we might judge, she helped me a lot because she, in that letter, helped me to see my own secret sense of self superiority and i watch for it in ways i never did before i got that letter from her because before you know you let it go Eh, that's just me being me or i have a right to ask for that or i deserve that or whatever yes some of that is true some things we do deserve (laughs) but you know some things it's a little different so Going back to the Four Noble Truths, this secret sense of self-superiority has to have a cure. There's got to be a way to fix it, right? Oh, wait, there is a way to fix it, love. Because if we love other people and we love ourselves, we will have the right sense of who we are not the wrong one, but the right one of who we think we are. And we'll begin to see that other people are suffering from the same mistakes that we are suffering from. And we'll have a little bit of pity and compassion for them. Because they were, as my friends in 12-step like to say, there but for the grace of Buddha go I, right? So as as a result, we learn to let go of this secret sense of self-superiority by practicing love. And remember, we talked uh, last week about how to sit on your meditation cushion and imagine that you extend love mentally to all beings everywhere as an exercise in training your heart in love, and uh, training your heart and mind in a loving attitude. And that that training, then, you can carry into your everyday life but you may need a guidebook for how to practice love because you know, I didn't come with an instruction manual on how to practice love. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born with one. And so that's why people like Togme Rinpoche wrote books like the 37 practices. So that by reading these books and possibly remembering some of the verses we might have a framework for remembering the love that is going to um, begin to wash away suffering and its causes. Because the cause of suffering is clinging. And if we can begin to let go of that selfishness, that, you know, the secret sense of self superiority, if we can begin to let go of the unhealthy selfishness and begin to embrace love for ourselves and others, we can make some progress. That's the bottom line. And everybody asks me when I talk about the book 37 Actions, or 37 Practice, why 37? I have a good answer for you, got no clue, no clue. Actually, um, I do have a clue. The Buddha, during his 45 years of teaching, He lived 2,500 years ago in India during his 45 years of teaching. He gave innumerable teachings, innumerable. If you say to somebody, where's the Buddhist Bible? It's about 200 volumes, it's big, it's big. So not one person can memorize it all or know it all. But what we can do is study the parts that are relevant to us and that help us the most. And I, I love it that my teacher, as I mentioned previously, my teacher Kimpo kartha Kartharipache used to quote 12-step and he didn't know he was doing it when he said, take what you need and leave the rest. Take the parts of dharma that are useful to you and don't worry about the other parts. Just take what works for you on your being, what works for you and changes you from inside. Just work with that. And so the Buddha also taught that there were 37 factors that lead to enlightenment. 37 factors that lead to enlightenment. These are 37 topics that one can study one after another, or they could be studied and practiced in any order, really. And these 37 factors of enlightenment were memorized by his followers. And that was, became part of their training. Well, we don't do that so much these days. These days we give, uh, we give talks, we give Dharma talks, we do meditation lessons, and we, we don't rely as much on the memorization of things. But the number 37 keeps popping up in other areas because I think, as a a form of, um, we'll call it numeric feng shui. You know, it's like numeric feng shui. You know, if there are 37 factors of enlightenment, why not write a book called The 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva? I mean, you know, it's like a lucky number, if you want to put it that way. but the lucky part is actually for us, because uh, 37 isn't so hard to learn. That's a joke. Of course it's hard to learn, because we're not used to it. You know, we, we don't necessarily do this sort of thing. But, um, uh, but um, somebody, um, does, I'm, I'll give you an example of uh, Togme's Togme Rinpoche's writing. Uh, somebody give me a number between one and 37. 31, okay, thanks, here we go. (laughs) Not examining our own confusion, we could masquerade as a practitioner while not being in harmony with the Dharma. Therefore, to continually examine our confusion and discard it is the practice of a bodhisattva. Okay, give me another number over here. 12, okay. Oh yeah. And by the way, it's like a fortune cookie. I use this. Sometimes I use this like a fortune cookie. I just, you know, I'll just, you know, close my eyes and pick something and it's usually something I need to hear. So if you needed to hear that whoever asked for that number, that's great. Now, number whoever asked for number 12, listen closely. If out of great desire, someone steals all of our wealth or makes another do so to dedicate our body possessions and all the merit of the three times to this person is the practice of a bodhisattva. Ouch. (laughs) All of our merit, no joke, really? Of course, this is is somewhat comical because you know we had our prayer flags stolen this week, the rigging and everything yeah, we we have we have it on we have it on video, actually. Not the actual theft and not the actual face of the thief, but uh, we do have him on video. at four four fifteen in the morning on Thursday, he rode a he rode his mart- mountain bike north on uh, this uh, Pennington alley and then stopped right in front of the flags. and he unhooked them and he uh, somehow pulled uh, the rigging off of the poles and the flags and stuffed them all in the backpack, got on his bike and rode, made a right on Rich Street where he was caught by the other camera. I mean, hey. He obviously needed these, the rigging and the metal that goes with it and the flags worse than we needed. But you know, but th- there's a moment where we think, you know, a person must be pretty desperate to be stealing rope and to be stealing pieces of metal rigging, you know, it's a kind of a sad situation. Um, So, but the idea is, you may see that the language looks a little extreme in here. If somebody steals all of our wealth, it's asking us to to think about the very worst thing that could possibly happen. (laughs) You don't want to hear 13, let me just tell you. But, um, okay, I'll read it. But, um, but it it makes you imagine like the worst. And it says, even in that situation, you can practice as a bodhisattva would practice. And uh, many people say, why are they using such extreme examples? And I, I don't really know 100%, but here's what I think. I think it's because we all go through difficulty every single day, not as bad, as somebody stealing all of our wealth. They just stole our prayer flags. So if some, if a real bodhisattva can be patient with someone who steals all their wealth, we can at least be a little patient and a little compassionate with somebody who takes uh, some of our stuff. And I think that's what they're trying to point at here, that we all become bodhisattvas by degrees. We all become bodhisattvas one moment at a time, one situation at a time, one situation, yeah, one situation at a time. Just we take it one by one by one by one. And we use these situations of our lives to train our minds. Sometimes it works and we feel okay with what's going on, sometimes it does not work. And then we really get angry or really upset. But even then there's something we can do because th- my, teacher, my teacher said, uh, he must've known me. He must've known I was raised Catholic or something. Cause he said, you know, when you begin, when your mind feels unsteady, he said, like that would happen. Oh, how did he know that? How do he know my mind would be unsteady? Anyhow, he said, think of the Buddha and pray to the Buddha. Because if we think about the images of the Buddha, we see there, he's pretty stable like a mountain. And so that's what he wanted me to do. So even if there's nothing else to do, but think of the Buddha and pray to the Buddha, a person can do that. So it's like that. Okay, 13, I'm sorry, here it comes. I don't think I wanna read this. Anybody else know what thir- what's in 13? Okay, just checking, okay. Spoiler alert. Even if another were to cut off your head, though we had not done the slightest thing wrong, to take on all their negativity with compassion is the practice of a bodhisattva. Well, that's not happening. That is not happening. And, And people do, they ask about why is it so extreme and I think part of the reason that this extremity is used is to wake us up, kind of snap us out. It's not just sweet little things being said to us. It's like this is this is big hairy deal. This is a big thing. We're talking about the the, ex, the experiences of our life. Not that this is going to happen, but you get the idea. The idea is if. A bodhisattva can be compassionate to the person who is killing them. We can at least be compassionate to the person who cuts in front of us in traffic. I'm just saying. So reading this is a practice. Reading this, these 37 practices, it's a practice. Um, um, <laughs> there's a, a lama who visited Columbus in the 1980s. Uh, Kempo Sultram Jamso. I don't think anybody was here who saw him. I don't think anybody is here from that era except me. Uh, and um, and he uh, he was asked not during this particular visit, but he was rather hard nosed. And somebody said, "Hey, can I take refuge in Buddhism with you, Kempo Sultram?" And he said, "He said you might want to think about it." because I'm gonna make you read the Life of Milarepa like three times. And then I'm gonna have you do a lot of other stuff you might not wanna do. And the, so the person thought better of it and didn't do it. But, um, but somebody went to him once and said, oh, Sultrim Rinpoche, please teach me about compassion. And he said, great. Here's the 37 actions of a bodhisattva. Read it 1,000 times. Read it 1,000 times out loud and then come back and see me and we'll talk. So it's not that he was being hard-nosed and mean to this person. He did this for everybody. Every one of his students had to read the 37 practices out loud 1,000 times. As part, of their, as part of their training. Because after a thousand times, you, you pretty much know what's in it. You pretty much know what's in it and it comes to mind when you need it. I mean, it's like, how did I know what 13 was? I've only read it 300 times and not out loud either. I mean, you're sitting on an airplane. Are you gonna read something out loud on an airplane? No, <laughs> they carry you away, you know especially what the one I just read. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so um, this is why Lama Karma, his teaching on it is gonna be so important because these are pithy little teachings in four lines of poetry. There's 37 of them, of these pithy little teachings. Uh, and. and There's a verse for each of the six perfections, and there's a verse for aspiration bodhicitta and action bodhicitta. There's a verse for virtually any topic you might wanna have discussed. And so um, this will be a lot of fun, and I invite all of you to make sure you uh, make some time on Saturday, the 22nd, either to watch from uh, home in your fuzzy slippers or bring your fuzzy slippers down here and, um, and, and bring your sack lunch and be with us on the 22nd while we go through this together. I, now, my idea of course was to have copies of the 37 actions to give you today so we could all read it together one time, but it didn't work out that way. So I think what I'll do is I'll take some questions and then, if there's some time at the end, I, I'll read parts of it to you. How about that? The other thing, The only other thing I could think of was to get people to line up at the microphone and hold the books and everybody read one, one, two, three, four. But that would be a little cumbersome. So yes, question. yeah. And we have two microphones, and thank you. Thank you, Caleb, man of the hour here on the sound desk.:
3: Hello. I don't know what this means. Uh, 37 is a prime number.
1: Hey, cool. Can't,
3: can't be reached. Uh, also, 3, 5, 7, 13, 17, 19, 23, can't read it, uh,
1: 29, 31,
3: and 30,
1: no, no. Prime those, number. Are, those are prime numbers prime numbers, that's pretty cool, actually. I mean, any other math nuts here? I married, yeah, okay, I married a math nut and it is so much fun to live with a math nut, I just have to say. Uh, Yeah, thank you.
3: The uh, important question for me is, if, uh, since the guy or girl who stole the prayer prayer flags uh, did so, then uh, ideally, the Bodhicitta would give him all our prayer flags, not, not prosecute, uh, invite right. in. Right. So, will we do that?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know what the I don't know what the wise action is in this particular case, because um, uh, we did make a police report so that the uh, local police would be aware that someone is taking things. Um, but we recognize that the likelihood of the person being found is very very small. So I do not know what the decision will be, and if uh, the decision to prosecute this person would happen or not, I can't tell you. I do know that um, the person who set the fire that burned our previous building down, uh, that was also reported to the police, and the person um, was captured. And uh, hopefully they got some counseling uh, for their fire setting behavior. So we, it's not for me to say what is in the best karmic interest of every individual. Cause I don't know, but I have to, th- well, it, it'll be something to think deeply about. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Reading all the rules here. Oh, yes, I know. Good Isn't morning. that nice? He put some instructions on there. That yeah. was from Don, our... Three um, finger widths between me
3: and... Okay. <laughs> uh, you said that uh, in two weeks when uh, Lama Karma will yeah. be given that teaching that the uh, doing it by Zoom will be yes. qualified as receiving the, uh, the uh, transmission. Yep. I'm curious if watching the recording of that would also qualify.
1: They say not, because it's not live anymore.
3: Okay, got it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's
1: not live anymore. I know, that's it's a technicality. We have to really think about that. The other thing is, if you come on the 22nd and he doesn't give it, I'll give it. Because there's going to be like a two-hour break for lunch. So there'll be a break between 12 noon and 2 o'clock when the afternoon session starts. And so I'll, I can give it if he doesn't, so... It, it, it will, we'll get it handled, you know. Yeah. Thanks for that, yeah. Other things that people might wanna ask about.
2: I don't, I don't know if I just understood what it, you said. did Is Lama Karma gonna be live?
1: Um, the answer is yes and no, um, because he will be giving the teaching live but not here in person.
2: Yeah, I know, but yeah I have questions. I've already asked this, it's like the same question. Okay. I think you probably know what question it is, but, but I, I don't want to ask the question here. Oh,
1: you don't? Okay, I apologize. Okay, I misunderstood. Thank you very much.
2: It's one of those, if uh, he who knows doesn't speak and he who speaks doesn't know type
1: things. Okay, all right, yeah, gotcha. I, uh, boy, I tell you what, that's deep, you know, it, you know, yeah, I like that. He who speaks doesn't know, and he know, he who knows doesn't speak. I, I get you. You know, it's so funny. The Buddha, here's the funny thing. The Buddha, after, after the, after the Buddha reached his enlightenment, he sat for days, not knowing whether to speak or not, Because he said, how is anybody ever going to understand what I have understood, but yet I feel compelled to tell people about this. And lucky for him, um, uh, a couple of of the gods decided that it was going to be their job to ask him. At least that's how the legend goes. And so Brahma and Indra asked him to teach, and so he taught. and And answered to their request. So... And that's why one of the seven, talk about numbers, we're into numbers here. There's 37 of this and, and you know, seven of this and seven of that. That's one of the seven, why one of the seven branches of offering is to ask the Buddhas to teach, turn the wheel of Dharma because they may not do it without being asked. It's not polite, but there you go. Time for one more, if there's one more out there. If not, we'll sit. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, I'm open to questions, I just wasn't sure there was any. Yes.
2: Which you, can, num- you, you
1: can actually move that up. Okay. He's given us the power to move the microphone. It's, it's, I love I love the little sign, it's very cute, actually. We have little signs on our microphone telling people to edge up to the microphone and to,
2: you know. Which number is your favorite?
1: Which number is what?
2: Your favorite of My the thirty-seven. My favorite.
1: You know, I'm going to say it's. It might be twenty, and it might be thirty-six. So I can read. You know, it might be twenty, uh, and it might be thirty-six. But let, let's see. Although eighteen is really good too. Um, okay, so here's here's twenty. Not conquering the foe of your own anger fighting with enemies outside you'll just make more therefore with an army of love and compassion to tame our mind is the practice of a bodhisattva i love that not conquering the foe of your own anger the enemy of your own anger fighting with outer opponents will only make them multiply Therefore, with an army of love and compassion to subdue or tame our own mind is the practice of bodhisattva. So that's one of my favorites. And then 36, it's kind of, I like, the reason I like 36 is because in brief, wherever you are and whatever you do, while staying continually mindful and alert to the state of our mind to benefit others is the practice of a bodhisattva. And number 18, I like number 18 because it's about taking heart. It's about taking heart when things are going wrong. Number 18, those stricken with poverty and always scorned, plagued by grave illness and bad spirits too, not to lose heart, but to take on all the misdeeds and misery of all beings is the practice of a bodhisattva. In other words, he's saying that even though you go through a lot of suffering yourself, not to stew in that suffering, not to stew in it, but to rather take action to help yourself and to help others—that's the practice of bodhisattva. I, I just that that just makes it's kind of like the tenth chapter of Shanti Deva's Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. This is a whole. This is another book I love. This was written in the eighth century uh, by uh, the Indian master Shanti Deva. He was a, a monk. This is not Tagme's story, but Chak, uh, but um, uh, Shanti Deva's story. And he was um, thought to be incredibly lazy. People just looked at him and said, boy, you know, all he does is eat, sleep, and, you know, poop. He doesn't do anything. He's just, he's like useless. He's useless. So everybody thought he was useless. So in the monastery at that time, everybody had to take a turn and give a Dharma teaching. So it was his turn. And so the other monks wanted him to be embarrassed, so embarrassed that he would leave the monastery. So they built this really big teaching throne for him to sit on. So he would get maximum embarrassment when he got up there and had nothing to say. You know, because they thought he was lazy. And so when he gets up there, he climbs up, and he says, okay, would you like to hear a teaching from one of the texts? that has come before or do you want me to give you an original composition and they said oh we want the original composition please because they thought that he was stupid and so he gives he actually recites 10 chapters 10 chapters of verses that were his masterwork, the the guide to the bodhisattvas way of life. By the time he got to the ninth chapter, which was the wisdom chapter, he began to kind of levitate off the seats and the guys looked at each other and said, maybe we made a mistake about this guy. Anyhow, um, so that's the story. And he gave chapter 10 from someplace up in the sky. Who knows about these legends, but you know. Who knows? But it's a lovely story that talks about underestimating someone. Everybody has a story about being underestimated, and we all feel it sometimes. But Shanti Deva, he felt that it was important to teach these practices of love and compassion. And in chapter 10, he really tugs at our heartstrings, just like verse number 18 does here kind of tugs at our heartstrings by imagining what buddhahood the power of buddhahood what is the power of buddhahood and he imagines the bodhisattva manjushri and he imagines the bodhisattva chenrezig appearing in hell He imagines them appearing in hell in all of their majesty and glory, and 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 then the, it says, um, "Come quickly, friends, and gather here." So all the hell beings are telling each other, "Come on, come here, come here, you gotta come and see this," and they're all there and they shout with joy, and so. What this means is that enlightened beings can bring joy to the darkest corners of our mind. It's, It's symbolic, you know, that beings are in hell, although we know beings who are in hell now because they're walking among us as human beings, right? And we have to find ways to have compassion for them, like the guy who stole our stuff, you know. He's in his own private situation there. And, but to me, the power of Buddhahood is the power to sh- shed that light on even the darkest corner of our mind, it's, it, and, and to remind ourselves that we have Buddha nature and we can wake up. And so, in, in uh, verse, I mean, in chapter 10, not only do Manjushri and Chenrezig appear in hell, <laughs> and, and liberate the beings in hell. By the way, they, they don't just show up for fun; they actually, you know. Get them out of hell um there but then we make a lot of aspirations and one of my favorite ones is um the one where it says you know may all of those who wander in trackless wastelands ooh that's a creepy thought isn't it may all of those who wander in trackless wastelands the um the children the aged those stupefied and those insane. May they be guarded by beneficent celestials. So the idea then is that even these beings who are in their worst condition, may they be protected and guided by the virtue of a loving heart. Isn't that amazing? That just knocks me out every time I think about that. That's in chapter 10. So if you ever feel discouraged about life, get a copy of the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life and read chapter 10 out loud if you ever feel discouraged about your life or anybody else's life read chapter 10 out loud and see what you are capable of and that will help you it'll help you. I had a guy once he he said you know I'm feeling a little depressed and I'm beginning to doubt that I have Buddha nature what should I do and I said I got no idea but try reading chapter 2 3 and 10 of the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life out loud to yourself. And I called him back two weeks later, and he said, it's improved. So, anyway, we'll stop here for today. Uh, let's sit quietly for about a minute or two, just let everything everything settle. That's because that was a lot of talking. So, just be about about two minutes of quiet sitting. Okay, thanks very much. Um, let's uh, do our dedication, shall we? Yeah. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's been really, it's been really good. And um, I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about the 37 actions and uh, I hope you'll be able to study more about it as time goes along. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll be reciting this, I think, uh, just in English today we gather together all the goodness uh, uh, that we've accumulated by being here today talking about dharma and and about healing our hearts and minds and dedicate it to all beings. I'll start with the words by this merit. By this merit may all attain omniscience, may it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death from the ocean of samsara may i free all beings the courageous manjushri who knows everything as it is samantabhadra who also knows in the same way and all the bodhisattvas that i may follow in their path i completely dedicate all this virtue okay thanks everyone And uh, drive safely out there. Thanks to all the folks watching at home. And thank you, uh, Mr. Soundman, for being our help today. Thanks very much. Okay, be safe out there, folks.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.